Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chan. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same actor, the same director, or a similar theme. And this month, we are discussing Parasite, which came out this year, and Snowpiercer, which came out back in 2013, I believe. They are both films directed by Bong Joon-ho, and... It's going to be a pretty fun ride, I think, today. The funny thing is, they also share actors and they also share themes. So in a way, we're doing a trifecta this this episode. We are. We are. Now, please be warned that there will be spoilers throughout this episode. So if you have not seen either uh, either of the films, then I suggest pausing this episode and coming back at a later date because there are some great surprises to be ruined. Uh, And like I said, we will be discussing all of them. So Sarah, do you want to give us a bit of an overview on this year's Parasite? Parasite, the most misleading title of all time, when you know that this director made a film called The Host, until you see the film and realise the relevance of the title. Parasite is a film uh, set in a contemporary or maybe slightly near future South Korea about a a poor working class family uh, who insinuate themselves into the lives of a wealthy family. That's a great summary. And to be honest, when I tell people about the film, that's as far as I go. That's all you want to know until you see it. That's right. Yeah, of course, we will be going beyond that point. Now, William, uh, please give us an introduction to Snowpiercer. Oh, actually, guys, guys. So I recently rewatched an an old favorite, uh, a cautionary tale based on an illustrated bestseller uh, where in this depiction of a world gone mad, our blonde protagonist is pulled out of the life of squalor when he receives a cryptic invitation hidden in food, or specifically in a food bar, that sends him and a group of ragtag companions to a mysterious facility where weird and wonderful surprises lie in wait behind every door. There, they will meet the founder of the place, an eccentric genius who runs the whole operation with the help of his team of little people. Oh, <laughs> I know where you're going! <laughs> so, it turns out that this whole gamut of challenges was set up by the aging wizard to find a pure-hearted heir to carry out his life's work. And in the end, everyone gets their just desserts. But enough about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, everyone. So, so why, why, okay, just completely irrelevant to these two films, why Willy Wonka and why not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Because Willy Wonka is, is the, oh, well, I mean, Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a terrible movie. No, it's great, it's a great film. <laughs> Willy Wonka's the one everyone knows. <laughs> I, do, I have to say, I'm a big, big uh, supporter of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. I have a lot of, I had a lot of fun in that film. I had a lot of chocolate in that film. <laughs> My <laughs> friends and I went along and we just stuffed our faces with chocolate and then felt completely. It'd be sick. wrong not to, wouldn't it? Mm. I just, I really love William the way that you're able to uh, draw together these comparative um, plot summaries and notice all. You're, you're like a cinema in context episode and yourself, I think, <laughs> for being able to go, look, these are exactly the same. I, <laughs> I did not know where you were going. It took it wasn't probably about when Sarah clicked on it, so I was like, yeah. oh. Uh, yes. Yeah. Great. So those are our two films for today. Yeah. Hmm. Should we start with Parasite? I feel like that's... <sighs> yeah. Parasite. Mm-hmm. And now might be a good time to say that Parasite won the Palm d'Or at the recent Cannes Film Festival. Deserved? Heck yeah. Yeah? Absolutely. I, mean, Absolutely. I, I think so based on my enjoyment of the film, but was there any, what were the other big contenders this year? The really nice thing is, and we were in the cinema next door to the main cinema where the ceremony was taking place at the end of Cannes. So we were in the cinema next door with the, um, with the rabble, if you will, the journalists, 
And, uh, and so everybody felt they could be very vocal. We're watching it on the big screen that's of everything that's going on literally next door. And, and as I say, the journalists did feel that they were able to go, boo, or what, or yay, <laughs> or whatever. And to be honest, there was, uh, it certainly felt to me like there was quite a lot of dissent about the, the various um, prizes that were given out. For example, Atlantique, which won the, the second prize, uh, Matty Diop's uh, first um, major feature film, um, it came second, and the and the the critics were like, "Oh, really?" But everybody was rooting for Parasite to win, and when it did, it, I would say unconditional, you know, um, acceptance of that having been the main prize, which mm. is really nice, and must be really nice for a wonderful director like Bong Joon Ho to feel. Um, that his, I mean, obviously, he's going to be thrilled about the win, but uh, to feel that everybody else agrees um, mm-hmm. must be really satisfying, rather than being a bit of an outlier, you know? Mm. Mm. So, yeah, Parasite, very interesting indeed. So I saw it at Cannes, knowing absolutely nothing. And obviously, as we've said, that is the only way, don't you agree? That mm-hmm. is the only way to go into this film, which we are now going to spoiler like Billy-O, because you can't talk about <laughs> it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, because I, I, I went into it like trying to remain as spoiler-free as possible. Didn't watch the trailers, mm. didn't even look at the posters, really. Just no. knew that this was a movie by Bong Joon-ho and that it wasn't a monster movie like The Host. Yes. Yeah, that was it. And that's interesting because I think The Host having been such a sort of a uh, an international hit, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, when was The Host as well? 2000? Early. 11? Early 2000s? Yeah. 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 Oh, I was early 2000s. Or m- mid 2000s, maybe? Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, and so, yeah, you're right. You, you call a film Parasite, and immediately people are like, oh, I know where this is going to go. And it's very, very interesting that actually, as he describes it, the parasites are, I guess, on the most superficial level, the parasites are the poor family trying to, as I say, insinuate themselves into the lives of the rich family and be parasitic in terms of getting a better life. But actually, mm. the parasitic. Uh, aspects of it go all ways, don't yeah, they? Both ways. Everybody wants something from somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's you need to tutor me and make me cleverer, or you know whatever whatever it might be. Yeah. So um, really interesting. Yeah. I have not had this much fun in a film for so long. <laughs> oh great! I just had the absolute blast of a time. My um, flatmate's friend was up from Hamilton. I said, "Do you want to come watch this creepy Korean film with me?" Because that's all I kind of knew. Yeah. And. She was like, yeah, sure. And we were screaming and laughing and clapping and, oh, it was so enjoyable. And I think um, the great thing is that if you describe the film as being about this this poor family infiltrating mm. this rich family, then you just have this wonderful rollicking time with these great characters, the comedy of it. It's just the... The, the the making up of story and yeah. and the, the um I'm trying to use, not use the word BS but um you know all of the making up of stuff that mm. goes along with that journey and uh, and you know that something's coming like I yeah. was like what is happening like where <laughs> is this going we we thought that the mother was going to come in and stuff everything up because she was such a she she sort of has that moment in, earlier in the film where she gets grumpy at the mm. at the friend when he comes in. Mm. Um, but no, it was just this wonderful setup to mm. then what would transpire. <laughs> but I didn't foresee where it was going. At all. No. No. And I think now might be a sort of a self-aggrandizing moment to, to, to tell our listeners. My husband, Doug, who was at Cannes, obviously, as well, he actually got to interview Bong Joon-ho after we'd seen Parasite, but before the announcement of The Palm. Oh, he had nice. a wonderful 40-minute interview with somebody who he reports as being a really genuinely lovely interesting, engaging, lovely man. 
And it occurred to me, you know, that adage of, you know, never meet your heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in this instance, it was absolutely fine to meet your heroes because Bong was great. Um, but uh, Doug told him that there was that moment um, the where, and he said to him, and my wife said, holy sh like this. Yeah. And Bong laughed and said, that's exactly the um, the response that I wanted, that mm. I was looking for, you know. So then all of a sudden, things start to get quite violent. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, this is where Snowpiercer's um, comparisons can easily come in. Uh, well, actually, all Bong Joon-ho's films end yeah. up being a bit violent and a bit nasty, <laughs> don't they? But it was so surprising. Mm. It was great. Mm-hmm. Whereas you go into a Tarantino sort of going, all right, when are they, when are they bringing out the... If not the big guns, the big knives. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. I, I feel like this was this was what I wanted from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I, I mean, I still really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I enjoyed it more the second time once I kind of knew the pacing of the film. Yeah. Um, Whereas this is this a was, perfectly yeah. crafted movie. And I think just to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I don't know whether we've talked about this, but I do think, were we talking last time about well, we Sally Menke? And... Yes, but William hasn't seen the film yet. Oh, okay. See, so, yeah. Okay, well, I won't spoil anything, but it is very um, languid, I guess. Yeah, it is. And overstuffed. And self-indulgent. And I just think that that film... It's it's his films are getting longer and longer, and it's sort of losing the the rhythm of what his previous films were. And mm. like if you look at um, Inglorious Bastards, which is a long film, mm. yeah. but every scene it's like a stretching rubber band. And Each of those five purpose. scenes is building up to the huge climax. Absolutely. Um, whereas I don't think the build up to the climax of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was needed. To, it just didn't need to be that long. No. Well, um, so I know that we've made quite an aggression here, but apparently, because as you mentioned, Sally Menke, his longtime uh, editor, um, passed away in a, a tragic accident. Yeah. And, and subsequently, um, I think the chap's name is Fred Raskin, who was his assistant editor, has become his editor. And in an interview with this um, Fred fellow, apparently that every day uh, Quentin comes in to watch the dailies and he was, and the editor was quoted as saying, and anything that he laughs at goes in the film. And that feels very much to me the way that Quentin crafts his movies mm, as much mm-hmm. for himself as anybody else. Mm. Now, doing a comparison with Bong Joon-ho, I'm sure that he's delighted about things that he's created, but it just feels well-crafted, yeah. doesn't it? And purposeful. Very tight. Tight. Incredibly tight. Absolutely. Yeah. One point that stood out to me after watching the film was when when the when the maid comes into back into the film and um, sorry no after that when the family are coming home um, and they're all furiously trying to get these bodies downstairs clean up the house mm. and make a meal like just the, the chaos of that <laughs> I think the making of the meal part just completely stressed mm, me out because mm, um, you know when you're trying to make a meal in a rush mm. uh, but the, just a little detail of when the daughter is scraping all the stuff under the couch and she cuts her hand mm-hmm. and you're just like just those little things where I'm like oh is that going to become a thing like yeah, that yeah, little yeah. bits of potential foreshadowing yeah or mm-hmm. just literally little bits of glass that oh, yeah, could be yeah. on the ground mm-hmm. um, that, that reminded me a lot actually of uh, speaking of Quentin Tarantino of Hateful Eight with the jelly bean. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah nice. Nice. And there's definitely connections there with Tarantino, right? Mm-hmm. It's got that same um, love of character, love of dialogue. Mm. Um, talking about that as well. Just that, the, the, the main character going, so metaphorical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So self-aware. Yeah, brilliant. that's right. Yeah. No, I, had a, I had a wonderful time in this movie. And just that, oh, just like, just, there's a lot of those visceral moments that stand out to me. Like when they're racing around and... And the maid is running up the stairs, and the mother just sort of like I think she might even just bump her bum into her or kick her or whatever, and she mm. goes flying back down the stairs, <laughs> yeah. which ultimately you know leads to her death. Um, and a lot yeah. of the, the the little interstitial cuts as well. There's there's so many 
so many great bits of visual storytelling in it. Um, I, I remember there's this one shot of a bunch of condom wrappers on a, a spike. Yeah. And it just says so much in, what was it, like a, a third of a second. Yeah. And you don't need any dialogue. You can completely understand the situation, and it's wonderful. Yeah, mm. true. Mm. He was a great char- character, that creepy. Oh, <laughs> oh what about goodness. that shot with him as the ghost coming up? Just the eyes coming above the table. Scary, yeah. but also hilarious. <laughs> and then, of course, by the end of the movie, you can see what it's building up to. The ghost is going to come back, and he's going to be very, very violent. Very vengeful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, the little boy, the eyes turn back. Just the whole climax. It was just, it was as if, well, it was, the whole, the whole movie building up to that point. And delicious, yeah. so good. Very, very funny. Very, very visceral, and just this this bloodbath of of pandemonium, but also yeah. of pointlessness. Because yeah. that's you know, I, I I love how in Parasite, I don't think any of the other characters are actively you know bad. No, like they're just they're trying to live their lives. It's it's not even really scraping for survival. It's just. I want to be comfortable, you know. Yeah. If I'm super rich, you know, I'm nice because I'm rich. That was mm. one, one of the pieces of dialogue. Mm. And then because of the class system and because of the miscommunication and how everything kind of comes to a head, mm. um, you end up with horrible, horrible violence mm. happening. Mm. Yeah, for no apparent reason. He's mm. spoken about the fact that there is um, purposefully no judgment on the characters. Mm. Um, so it isn't a case of, oh, these poor poor people, these rich people are horrible, or, oh, these naughty, parasitic, poor people, um, you know, get a job, or anything like that, that everybody is multifaceted, mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately, you're not really rooting for anybody particularly, um, it's just it's just such a terrifically tense um, narrative of, as we say, tension building, like mm-hmm. I adore the scene with the family underneath the coffee table, and trying to get over to the stairs <laughs> to get the heck out. Um, so the tension is just so marvellous, and, and, and ultimately it's just kind of the most excruciating thing to watch, the whole film, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. as you say, deliciously so. And, and so many of those scenes, the tension-building scenes, how they they frame it in just the right way, mm. where you see an element that you just know is going to pop out. So, for, for example, the scene where they're trying to hide under the coffee table... Mm. Um, every time you see the shot, there's the teepee in the mm, background. Mm. And you know there's a little boy inside, and he has a flashlight and a walkie-talkie, yeah. and there's going to be a moment. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Or, or even, it, like, at the very beginning where um, I thought it was very noticeable, they're in the kitchen, the, the rich family's kitchen, and just, I, I can't remember who, I think it's the housekeeper coming out of the, the basement, yeah. and the light's on a timer, and it turns off, and it suddenly becomes just this, this rectangle of pure black. Yes. Mm. And it's wonderful how so many of shots afterwards, that is center shot, center yeah, frame. Yeah, yeah. It's just this, this, this thing of, of foreboding mystery that ends up being you know, very, very important to the story. So he said in this interview that Doug did with him that he lights things purposefully to draw attention or mm. to create a feeling around something that hasn't yet been made significant, if you know what I mean. So it's really interesting that, that something in you was noticing that to to think, oh, maybe even on a subconscious level, that's going to become relevant, or there's something going on there. But he speaks a lot about that that lovely wall full of the, the glass and the, the, the orange <laughs> yeah. lighting and all the, you know what I mean, surrounding yeah. the... 
so scary. Basement door, but just fantastic. <laughs> I I think just the the complete horror of being the peaches being rubbed on the face of that. <laughs> yeah. And there's that moment we're having the fight, and I was like, what is she running off to get? And she just gets a peach. And she starts rubbing it on her face. Perfect. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, the comedy of just the comedy of that yeah. is just brilliant. Um, I have to say that that has got to be one of the longest Morse code letters in the history of <laughs> cinema. At the end, I was like, "What? This is ridiculous! He does, he how long have they? Yeah, how long have they yeah. been translating this?" Yeah. I mean, I gave the film that you know by that point of the movie. Yeah, um, and there was a point. There was a part of me when I was watching that going, "What?" Like, because you know you don't know it's his dream for an, for for you know until yeah. the very last shot. Um, but I, I was thinking that at the time I was thinking, "Oh, this film just completely ruined it right at the end because." What he just made all this money and yeah. da da da, but then but it, no, know. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I feel like director Bong, and I thought this during my rewatch of Snowpiercer. I think he does a marvelous job of holding, if you will, um, realistic characters. So if I can just jump into Snowpiercer for a minute, Chris Evans, to my mind, plays his character of Curtis really realistically, really authentically. And then even when he's in a scene opposite somebody as outlandish as Tilda Swinton's uh, Mason and (laughs) Tilda Swinton's teeth and her northern, her Yorkshire accent, which is so overblown on purpose and Mm -hmm. totally works, that together it still works. And I think Bong does a terrific job of having sort of caricature and realism in one scene, dialogue going at each other, and it's still, we buy it. You know, there's stuff about Snowpiercer, the way that it looks, the way that the train carriages look inside and out, that you know this is so made up. And then there's stuff going on that is so real, and it works. And I feel mm-hmm. that um, he does a... Parasite, in a way, actually feels, if anything, feels more realistic. And yet there's stuff about it that's absurd, that also totally works. Would you agree, or...? Yeah. Not for me. Snowpiercer no? was n- not not a great experience. Oh, interesting. Interesting. It wasn't a terrible think. experience, but tell I I just felt that there was a clash of styles going on that just didn't work for me. Chris Evans is so boring. Like he's so boring. I agree with you. He played it very real, very earnest. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I've enjoyed him as Captain America, but I found his character just that is so interesting oh. because for me, Chris Evans in Snowpiercer is the best work he's ever done. Because for me, Captain America's nice, but really uninspiring. So isn't mm-hmm. that interesting? Because I, I like him better in Snowpiercer. Feels like he's got more grit, but no, mm. I hear you. Keep going. I, I, I just, for me, it reminded me of Alien Resurrection. You know, like, you've got oh. this, um, this Joss Whedon script. Um, I'm going to bring Buffy in, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Writer of Buffy out, and Firefly <laughs> and The Avengers. Um, and directed by Jean-Pierre Genet, directing yeah. his first... American film, trying to make an American film, mm-hmm. quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just this weird mash of styles. And I felt like um, it didn't work for me. I enjoyed the... I, I really enjoyed the premise of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. And I really enjoyed the, um, some, of the, some of the set pieces. But by the time, I got, by the time you get to the teacher, school teacher, doing the... Um, the indoctrination song. I was just, I don't know, it kind of lost me. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I love that. Alison Pill is the best part of that the movie. Whole film. <laughs> oh, I just thought she it was is just chewing it so the scenery far. so much. And then when um, she pulls the gun out, yeah, and, the and, and she's you. pregnant and she's wearing this frock and she's got this hair and this guy. And the, what I loved is she can barely control her class, which is how I felt as a teacher this term. So I was like, this is so true. <laughs> but then, of course, she gets you. Oh my god, I thought that was delightful too. And, and I just kind of got lost in the fact of like, 
who designed this train? Like well, you've Wolford got like the party, <laughs> the party carriage next to the school carriage. Oh, no, there's like a swimming pool one, yeah. and I'm just like the aquarium. Nobody. One. Where do people live in this train? <laughs> Did you see how long the train is though? I it's know, really but they went through long. all the carriages, right? There was no beds anywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. Like all these beds, no people. Because uh, <laughs> well, um, they were all buddies. And the the guard the guard carriage. It's like there's so many beds here. Where is everyone? Oh uh, yeah. yeah. I just I don't know. Don't split heads, Jeremy. <laughs> no, I just didn't. I wasn't. I didn't feel it. It's and a metaphor. Yeah. I just felt like Ed Harris at the end. Just that whole trope of like the man. Explaining everything. Yeah. <laughs> Architect, Matrix Reloaded. No. Or, um, or Ed Harris in the Truman Show. Yeah, right? yeah Ed Harris in anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to admit, a part of me does go, oh, wait, is this Ed? Oh, it's Ed Harris. He's fine in it. Like, yeah. he does the work, but. I do I do like the ending, though. I think that the end, that ending of just blowing everything up yeah. is always going to be great. It's, it's <laughs> very heavy handed, but I love that it's very heavy handed. What, the ending or the film? The, the ending. Well, the, actually, the entire film and the ending. How do you feel about the film? Uh, I love it. I, I Back in uh, 2013, I was just telling you guys this off air, um, uh, I had to watch it illegally because I was in the States and it was out of very, very limited release. Um, and it was such an incredible experience, even watching on my little laptop screen, that, yeah, I, I, think, it, I think it holds up. I, I do get what you say, Jeremy, and I love that you bring up the um, Genet connection. Because mm. watching Snowpiercer again, I, I could think of nothing but Genet and Cajot's work for, like, Delicatessen. City of Lost Children. Yeah. And also in um, Genet's later, uh, what's it called, Micmacs? Yes. Oh, did you guys see that? Yes, yeah. I did. Which yes. is not a very good movie, but it's a very brown and textured it's a, And movie. it's a dystopian, future-y kind yeah. of premise, isn't and it? And a lot of the back half of the train feels like something yes. straight out of those movies. Um, which is great because Snowpiercer is, I mean, it's a French, you know, bon dessinée. It's a comic book. Right. Um, True. And for a Korean guy to adapt a French comic book in a way that feels like French fantasy cinema, I thought yeah. was, was really, really yeah, funny. Yeah. But wait, there's more. So I don't know if you picked up, but John Hurt's character, also from Alien, but a different Alien, John Hurt's character's name is Gilliam. Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah, that's Terry right. Gilliam, and, and when I'm watching it, I'm feeling... Um, Terry Gilliam's dystopian y kind of um, miserable, mm-hmm. uh, miserable films, also with the very mannered acting. Because actually, mm-hmm. having said about the acting, I think Chris Evans is probably the only person who isn't slightly overdoing it. Octavia Spencer is a bit big, oh, yeah. and Jamie Bell is a bit big, but it works because it all yeah. feels like a sci fi, or as you say, yeah. a bon dessiné, yeah. um, a comic book. So that's appropriate that they are. Um, Constructs or yeah. caricatures, almost, isn't it? Uh, and I, I say, I feel, I just feel sorry for Olivia, uh, Olivia, Octavia Spencer. Like I was watching this film, and I'm like, man, she gets some average roles. Like the fact that she doesn't really do much in this film, and then she dies. I was like, oh, mm. she keeps getting these sort of yeah. supporting roles that don't give her much to do. Although Jeremy, except be sassy. Have you seen yeah. Ma? No. Okay. Sima. M-A? Yeah. It's out this year. Okay. It's a horror movie where she's the big bad. Okay, okay. This um, sounds... This, and sounds she, this is her moment. <laughs> this, yeah. is her, this is her thing. Um, it's not a very good movie, but she has a lot of fun in it. And okay. it's completely focused on her. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll look out for that. I, I do think that if Chris Evans was somebody else, I, that kind of... For me, it just didn't work, that connection of the realistic with the ridiculous. I think... Mm-hmm. Who would he, you have cast instead of I just saw with a bit more charisma. I think he yeah. he didn't... I think that's probably my issue with the film is that he sets up an expectation that that just brought to light a whole lot of the comic book elements of it, mm-hmm. um, and I just think that 
He was just so boring. I was so bored you know, watching him. But he's the reluctant leader, isn't he? And I think what you say about casting is interesting because occasionally I'll watch things and think, no, 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 mm. I would have cast so-and-so. But you're right. It would be a matter of casting somebody with inherent charisma who can also play a reluctant leader. Mm. So almost play somebody who doesn't have charisma, but they're an actor enough that they're charismatic to be able to pull it off. Yeah. And you're right. Look, very few of the Chris's are that. I lie. <laughs> no, I lie. Pine, I just can't stand. Hemsworth. Hemsworth is great. Could. He mm-hmm. wouldn't be right in this role. But no. He's, he's no. Oh my gosh. Hemsworth. As good as... So, I mean, I really wanted to be liking him more than I was. Mm-hmm. And I think that I really enjoyed... Like I said, I really enjoyed the whole construct. And I loved the whole, like, you know, kind of moving their way up the carriages. Yes. And the great twists of the, of the, the protein bars being... Um, not people. I was thinking sort of green. <laughs> insects um, and Insects and things. Mm. And, and oh, that fight scene in the, with the... Mm. Oh, oh, did you... Yeah, that's starting, starting with the fish. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And, and, oh my gosh, so both films are beautifully shot, mm-hmm. beautifully photographed. And that bit with the fish and the gleaming blood on the gleaming axe blade and everything. And this hyper-saturated lighting from the, the stuff going through the windows. And the pacing of mm. all of it, I think, is immaculate. And I think this, I think Parasite was one of the most beautifully shot films, like, ever. So, I, yeah, I mm. think on those grounds, they're both sort of cinematic spectaculars, aren't they? Mm. That, just to talk about this, the filming, and particularly Parasite, like, when the shots of the family sitting in their home under, under the ground um, and eating, I it just... I just wanted to be there with them and just hang out with them and have some food and and all the climate change um, <laughs> kind of water issues. That the, was incredible though. Yeah. That whole sequence and the the, 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 the God's eye view following yes. the like raft on the yeah. and the shot of the of the sister smoking with the with the, the, the sewage water yeah. spewing up. Oh, amazing, yeah. amazing. That was brilliant. Um, yeah. And uh, speaking of someone who you know had spent some time uh, in Taiwan during the flood season. Uh, stuff like that happens, and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like people are out on the street with rafts, like with their stuff, mm. uh, sandbagging everything, and just to, to see that in a very very cinematic fashion was yes. pretty cool. And so so oh yeah, sorry. I was just say just sorry not to, not to linger on Parasite again, but I just <laughs> thought of that other moment where uh, the day after the flood and the family are in the hall, the whatever it is, the the gym, the, I guess, gym gym hall, and the um, they get the call to come to the party, mm. and just the juxtaposition of. <laughs> You know, oh, we're going to have this party. Like, mm, just completely mm. unaware of mm-hmm. what's just happened. Um, yeah, just brilliant. So th- there's a perfect segue there, then, mm. into theme. Because mm. I started off watch, re-watching Snowpiercer and thinking, ooh, I don't know where we're going to find similarities. And then, ba-boom. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, so, as exemplified by the walking up the carriages, where you go from literally, as, as um, Mason, as Tilda Swinton's character, keeps going on about, you are the foot, yeah. we are the head. Um, and the foot stair, the shoe <laughs> stairs on the foot. Um, so moving through the train from the 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 most awful, disgusting, poverty-stricken, dirty places through the debauched places to the immaculate. Oh my gosh, he's cooking steak place. Mm. Is a wonderful, not that subtle um, sort of metaphor for moving up the class system, which is what that train is all about, and of course is what Parasite is all about, moving mm-hmm. up the class system. And, and sort of wangling your way in and fighting your way in and then fighting to maintain the position that you got when you were suddenly um, welcomed into this this family. Um, um, you know what I'm talking about with Parasite, you know what I mean? They, the, the, the whole point of getting rid of the old housekeeper and everything is to sort of retain your position mm. and, and hold on for grim death to whatever you 
you get. And I think it's really interesting at the end of Snowpiercer when Ed Harris says to um, Chris Evans, I'd like you to take take this on. Mm-hmm. You know that this is what you want. Why don't you take this on? And that sort of internal battle of being somebody who for 17 years has fought for the poor, and ha- what kind of moral conflict would there be for you to go, yeah, all right, I'll take on your lovely slinky bathrobe and your steak meals and and live that life. And of course you wouldn't, but in Parasite you would. Yeah. And what a lovely connection with the two old men, one at the front, one at the back. One has a life of luxury but is comp- is incredibly lonely. Mm. And the other one is is, you know, lives in poverty but has has all of these connections and how they keep it in balance. Mm. That was a lovely twist. Mm. And I was thinking that when I was watching, I was like, hmm. These guys, they're killing a lot of people here. This is some good population control. Yeah. <laughs> of course, that becomes the, the 74%. Film. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, agreed, Sarah. I think the, the thing about Bon Joon Ho movies is they are never subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, the themes like smack you in the head, but in a good way. In yeah. a good way. It's so metaphorical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They make fun of it. I mean, if you look at movies like The Host, which is. I think the host shares a lot of DNA with Parasite as mm-hmm. well. I mean, beyond the name, it's about a you know a underdog, poor nuclear family who have to overcome some some sort of some sort of obstacle in their way in order to retain their family, right? Mm-hmm. Their family unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we we talked about Mother back in the day, which mm-hmm. is also very very blunt about the themes it is talking about. Mm-hmm. And how o- you will, how you how you will support family no matter what. Yeah, your son has committed a crime or been accused of a crime and all that sort of thing. And and then Okia, which. I, I know is kind of divisive, but yeah. it's uh, the themes are still very much. Yep, this is what the movie is about, yeah. guys. Yeah, and I find with so many of these movies, the central theme, even with stuff like the host and Okia, is is classism, right? Mm. It's about the differences between class uh, and how to maneuver that, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, and how to take care of it. Mm. And it is interesting watching Snowpiercer, which you know is twenty thirteen, and then Parasite how I think they end up coming to very, very different uh, points of view, whereas with Snowpiercer, the the one thing I could think about at the very end is that quote from Game of Thrones, you know, I I will break the wheel. How the thesis of the movie, I guess, is the the only way to fix the world is to start anew, is to get rid of the old world. Right. Um, Otherwise, if you have any any remnants, it's just going to continue this corruption and rot that's led to the world being the way it is. Yeah. Whereas Parasite is very, very different. It's it's vague in what, what the characters want and what actually gets achieved at the end because I think at the end no one learns anything, basically. Mm. And it's just it's a lot more cynical than Snowpiercer in the way, which is interesting. But do you think it's designed to provoke the audience to reflect? Mm. Because I do think that Parasite's interesting where you're not really you're not really siding with anyone in particular. Because mm. nobody's really good and nobody's well, I'm sure some of them are really bad, but no one's really good. Or if they're bad, it's not without a reason and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so maybe it, it, it's forcing us to reflect on, as you say, society and where we're at. Snowpiercer is much blunter. Mm-hmm. But I still think there's a mo- there are moments for reflection in Snowpiercer because you, you would put yourself in Chris Evans' shoes, well, Curtis's shoes at least, and think, well, no, hang on. What is my future going to be? I've made it to the front now. I've made it to the engine what am I going to do? Go all the way back to the back of the train and, and live in poverty with everybody? Or, you know... Or shoulder this responsibility of actually hoping to make a change or Absolutely. be able to make a change. But being able to make a change in a most beautiful environment yeah. where you have lovely clothes and steak meals, yeah. you know. And that's really, that's really tricky. Mm. 
I want to talk about the presence of cell phones in Parasite because I don't I haven't really got a conclusion on this. But the film starts with them trying to get Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. and they you know, and then there's a great celebration later on when they start earning money that they've got Wi-Fi again or they've mm-hmm. got data mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And then the cell phone becomes like a gun. It's used as a gun, like a <laughs> missile launcher. It's like they're all with their hands up and they're backing away from her potentially pressing send on this this video. And then mm. they fight over the phone. Um, I haven't. I don't know if there's much more beyond just having a connection with cell phones. But is there a commentary on the presence of cell phones, or is it just a device? I well, mean, literally, it, it, or, or is it just you know something? There has to be a threat somehow. It's just it's a nice connection with the start of the movie as well. I'm, yeah. Again, I haven't really thought this I, through. I, I love the scene where uh, he's hiding under the table, texting, <laughs> and trying to keep up a facade yeah. while he's in their house. Aren't they having sex while he's doing that? Oh, yeah, like yeah. That's happening while he's that, that keeping is up this relationship with the girl. amazing scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't and, know about the phones. It's tricky, isn't it? Because you, you're hard-pressed to make a film... A contemporary film nowadays that doesn't acknowledge their existence. It just seemed quite significant. Mm. It seemed like quite a significant, you know, I guess there was there was a lack of connection to the, the cellular network. And then that becomes the thing that could bring could bring down. everything down. Mm. Yeah. Um, it was just interesting. What about the, um, the other theme I, I touched upon was um, climate change? Because obviously Snowpiercer happens after a terrible, terrible environmental incident that's been brought around because humanity sucks and yeah. um, mm-hmm. um, although you notice that there is that moment of optimism at the end when the when um, the Korean uh, druggy su- supposed druggy character played by Song Kang Ho from both films where he says oh I noticed that the the snow is melting so there's that moment of optimism for a new life but not one that you can forcibly change because mm-hmm. they couldn't at the end of Snowpiercer go right we're going to create a new society yeah. but at least it leaves us with that well maybe they can go outside and not die you know which obviously they do um, but I, wait wait they do die? no no sorry bear, which that, they go that, outside yeah. sorry <laughs> they go outside and and, and potentially don't die but also I'm fairly sure that all the flooding and everything that happens in Parasite is mm-hmm. um, climate related so he's sort of very subtly creating parables around things without... I mean, you say that they're not subtle. Maybe he's not that subtle, but... I, I felt with the flooding, at least to me while watching, it was much more of the, the hammering home of the, the classist, you know, disparity. That you live in a basement, therefore when yes. this happens, it's yeah, going to go badly for um, you. The, right. Especially yeah. since the, the connective tissue between the two scenes when they escape the rich people's house and go mm. back to their own, mm. it's all these shots of them descending, mm. right? Stairs That's right, and going bridges back down. Yeah, and sure. shots of waterfalls forming on staircases. Yeah. 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 Uh, flushing down to the very bottom where they're literally well, you know, wallowing around in sewage. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- that's that's what I got of it. I, uh, although a climate change thing could be possible, um, yeah. And it's that reminder that they are, you know, in terms of their mind, they're always going to be at the bottom of the barrel. Right? Mm. That's the, and then it's even it's their whole pushing it home with him smelling like a boiled onion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> boiled radish. That's right. Uh, so it's the thing that, that I, I read it, I agree with William, I read it more as a metaphor yeah. um, for uh, their classes, the classism. But definitely in terms of Snowpiercer, the climate change, well, it's there, isn't it, as a, as I guess, more of a plot device than yeah. anything. Yeah, I don't think there's any, there's no lesson or moral about it no. in the film beyond this event has happened mm. and we are now living 
And this is how we're dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite interesting how Tilda Swinton's character, Mason, who, I had to look it up, but apparently she um, largely based that um, characterization on Margaret Thatcher. But interesting... Which is not surprising. It's very Thatcherisk. That's right. But it's interesting how some of what she says almost sort of makes sense, even if it isn't in a very socialist or a very compassionate way. Because she talks about, we've got to have balance. We've, we can't overpopulate the train. We've mm-hmm. got to keep this working. She's kind of right. I mean, I don't, I'm not suggesting that their methods are appropriate, but it's not the most outrageous or outlandish um, um, protestation from her. You know what I mean? And again, mm-hmm. I think that's a bit interesting. I think she is obviously the villain and villainized, and nobody's particularly sad when she's killed, but... It's like the Thanos thing, right? Thanos is such a great villain. I think Thanos is great. Because I kind of agree with him. I do too. He makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's my point. Yeah. And also, the Tilda Swinton, uh, Mason character, actually does show compassion in a lot of ways. You know, she isn't just a horrible bark. She's not actually a horrible barking Thatcher um, through and through. <laughs> she isn't. She's quite sort of... Um, well, she, yeah, she does have these nice ways about her that aren't entirely disingenuous, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think that that balance or that, that multifacetedness is interesting. Yeah, and I, I would say on, on the lines of that, um, and definitely connected to both movies, we've mentioned this before, but there is a lot of strange sympathy for for everyone in Parasite and for most of the characters in Snowpiercer as well. Yeah. Like, when you meet Ed Harris, he's not... A very happy man, <laughs> um, and he's not a beastly, horrible man. No, no, n- neither, neither is he. That. I mean, he created the train. Yeah. What would they have otherwise? They wouldn't have had anything. The disaster would have happened, and everybody would have died seventeen years ago. At least they're alive, mm. you know. And I think you actually feel, or I, I, you feel a lot of sympathy for a lot of the the mocks, the the security guards, and the masked men with axes. There's mm. a lot of shots of you know, a smiling face or uncertainty mm. or the guy with the stopwatch, mm. right? Even the two Russian hitmen, like mm. they, they have, you know, a, a loving relationship and the guy goes on a rampage because the other guy was killed. Mm. Father um, and son, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently they're ah, father and son. okay. I thought yeah. they were lovers, but... No, mm, apparently... I thought they were lovers as apparently well. Apparently father and son, according oh. to IMDB. So okay. there you go. Mm. Nice. Senior and junior, but okay. anyway, yeah. Um, but there, there definitely is just a lot of implicit compassion yes um for all the characters on the train and when when it derails and when you see the people basically torn out from you know away from their lives the mm. lives that they had known on the train mm. uh you feel you feel for them you mm. do um for the rich and the poor mm. which again in parasite you, it definitely shines through as well just there there isn't a complete darkness or a complete, you know, this is the savior of the world kind of thing. Mm. Uh, everyone's shades of gray, which is great. Also, you make me think of this. The whole structure of a train is such that if you don't look, you think about, you know how it's horrible in aeroplanes. They make us get on and walk through first class and business class to get to where we're going. But if you're getting on in first class, you don't know what it's like behind you. So if you were born within the 17 years um, of Snowpiercer and you were born on that train, you would not have gone up or down. You would mm. have no concept of what the, um, the rest of the society is like. So to what extent can you be blamed for your position in it? And so similarly in Parasite, to what extent can, for example, the rich family, the rich kids, be blamed for being the way they are if they have no concept of what it is to be poor and struggling to get a cell phone signal and all that sort of thing. 
So in that extent, to that extent, I do think there is sort of a compassion in the filmmaking. He's not, I think, excusing everybody and saying, don't worry, you know not what you do, but... Um, do you get what I mean, though? Absolutely. I mean, there's a separation, literally, in Snowpiercer yeah. and then um, socially in, in Parasite. And I read in an interview that he said the reason why the, the, the young man in Parasite becomes the tutor is because it was the only way they could conceivably think that there would be this cross-class connection. Yeah. Um, there's not really another scenario where, I guess, in the area where they were filming, that, that class, class connection would happen. So it's interesting, and and I think that kind of blindness to class dynamic uh, is definitely something I personally can relate to. Yeah. And growing up and not even being aware in our own country of our class issues. Exactly. And then as a 27, 28-year-old being like, why did I not know about yes, this? Yes, that's right. And just kind of the mm. anger and grief process that goes along with that. Um, which is, I think, I think for all of his bluntness of theme, it's definitely more nuanced and parasite. Mm. But I mean, I think it works in, don't get me wrong, like, Snowpiercer, I think fondly on it, and I might go back and watch it again yeah. and have a much better time. So but you, you in think terms maybe it like, works, you just didn't really enjoy the way that it worked. It, was just, it just was a bit jarring to me. Some of the, the, the pieces didn't weave together very sure. nicely. I think the American actors, with this very um, kind of Bong Joon-ho's kind of style, was quite jarring. Whereas mm. I think also coming off the back of like Mother, which I loved, and mm. it was this beautiful experience. But then Parasite, which was this hugely thrilling experience, mm. I wasn't kind of ready for the, I guess, Gilliam, Jean-Pierre Genet-esque mm. <laughs> with boring Chris Evans' um, yeah. Snowpiercer It's Snowpiercer's really interesting, though, of course, for being quite such a hybrid film, as we've said, um, based on a French bande dessinée, really multicultural cast, etc., mm. etc. Et and, of course, the delightful bits where you've got your two Korean actors, one of whom is speaking Korean only the whole time mm-hmm. with those wonderful sort of um, interpretation, yeah. translation <laughs> devices. Um, and, and, and that was so expertly handled that the, the people speaking different languages could communicate in a very sort of fluid way. Now, of course, Parasite is purely Korean. The host is Korean. Mother mm-hmm. is purely Korean and so on. He's Memories of Murder as well, isn't yes. he? Purely Korean. So in a way, Snowpiercer is a really exciting for me, hybrid film it's got that cliche of oh we're going to need people from all over the planet so we'll need our asian characters and our african-american characters and our british and our da 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 but you can imagine that if you are the surviving population from a massive world disaster then yeah you've got your noah's ark haven't you of 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 people on the train and i yeah i thought that was quite delightful and handled really nicely I did enjoy Jamie Bell as well. Yeah. I think he's, he's a lot of fun. John Hurt's always great. Yeah, he's really good in the movie. Yeah, yeah. and there's that character that well, didn't say anything, but was the um, sort of, did the flips and the kicks and then yes. stabbed someone. Yeah. He was quite a cool addition as well. The, the, the scene where they bring fire from the back of the train. Yeah. So cool. It was like very a scene from cool. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very cool. <laughs> the Urukai. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can even hear the, the sort of chanting right now. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or Radio Public. You can also follow us on Facebook or subscribe to us on Twitter or YouTube, which are also great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, kakete anō.